So now we want to go to John chapter 11. And we had discussed a number of things, and I want to point out some of the things that, that we had discussed. The first is in chapter 11, verse 5 of John, the book of John. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John, who's writing this book, wants to make sure that we know that Jesus really thought these people were special. This family was extremely dear to him, very, very special to him. There's not a lot of people, it says, that Jesus loved. One of them happens to be John, who's writing this book. He says, the disciple that Jesus loved. But John notices when Jesus loves someone else. And he doesn't say this about many people, but he says it about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So they have a very special relationship. I believe it's because of the sacrifice that the, this family has already shown to him. I believe that they were relatively wealthy people. I, I, I say that based on the type of house that they had, probably big enough to host 13 people. They probably had a tile floor that they could sit on and not in the dirt. The tomb that Lazarus was buried in was not just a hole in the ground. It wasn't dirt. It was a, something dug into the rock that would be typically for wealthy people. You would have someone carve out something in the stone for you to be buried in. That was a very expensive tomb, whereas most people would be buried in the dirt. The other thing that I used to say this was a wealthy family is that we find that Mary anoints Jesus' feet later with some very expensive, some very expensive oil ointment, yeah, nard, something worth a year's wages or something. It was a very expensive. So, for this woman to have this expensive perfume, as well as these these other things I was mentioning, and the people that come from Jerusalem to attend this funeral. Uh, that Lazarus was probably relatively high up in society. Now, it says in another place in Scripture, I believe it's where Jesus heals the, the man born blind. Remember that story? They call on his parents, and we learn that if, any, if anyone believes in Jesus, what are they, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be put out of the synagogue. It's very possible that this has already happened to Lazarus and his sisters. I don't know that, but it's, it's certainly that's, they were so close to Jerusalem and the people were so angry with Jesus, they wanted to make sure anyone who believed in him is going to be out. I believe this family was under tremendous stress. I think perhaps that's how Lazarus got sick. A lot of this is just conjecture. I'm putting it, the story together as, as it potentially was, but I try to find the best fit. But with, with that kind of stress, the reason Jesus loved them is that they're willing to go through this stress for him. And he recognizes this, and I believe he's very attracted to that. He, 
He really, he loves them and he knows that they love him and that they have already sacrificed for him. Well, that's all going to come to a test here because Jesus is not going to do what they expect him to do. Jesus is at Bethany beyond the Jordan. He's across the Jordan River, as we mentioned. They send a messenger to him. They're calling him to come from a distance. They're expecting him to come with the messenger. Jesus says, this doesn't, sickness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God. I want you to imagine this now. The messenger goes back 14 miles uphill, gets to Mary and Martha's house, walks in the door, and Jesus is not with them. And what are they going to ask him? Well, what did he say? He didn't come with you? No, no, he didn't come with me, but what did he say? He said this doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so the Son of Man can be glorified. He didn't come with you. No, no, he didn't, didn't come. Okay. Lazarus probably is, it's someone that close to death. They start having this labored breathing. It's very uncomfortable to listen to them. They're having difficulty breathing. They're maybe breathing very shallowly, but sometimes it's, it makes a lot of noise. He didn't send even a handkerchief we could lay on him. No, no, he didn't, didn't send anything. Uh, did he say when he was coming? No, he didn't. Did, he didn't make, make plans? He wasn't packing? Or, no, he wasn't packing. Look over at Lazarus, there's no change. There, there's, you know, because he has healed from a distance, hasn't he? Has Jesus healed people from a distance? Yeah. Yes, he has. Do you remember who? The centurion's uh, servant. So Jesus can heal from a distance. He does not. And he doesn't come. And then I believe Lazarus dies the same day, perhaps within a few hours. They are angry. And that's what we see coming out. See, Jesus never hurries. They were expecting him to run with the messenger up the hill. He, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't rush in his ministry. He's, he's always on time. He's never late. At least the way he looks at it. I think the way we would look at it, and the way the sisters look at it, they would say he was late. So we're setting up this drama. We're setting up this tension he comes, he, he doesn't go to the house because it's day four now, which is actually important. Uh, the Jews believed that the spirit of the person would hang around for three days, but after that it would go. And Jesus wants to make sure that it's more than three days, that this man is, is really, really dead. 
Let's pick up in verse 28 of John chapter 11. Jesus has corrected Martha. Martha's come out, gave him a little piece of her mind. Jesus has gently reoriented her to who he is. She says again, you're the Christ. He said, okay, I believe you are the Messiah. She, she had stopped believing he was the Messiah because when Jesus doesn't show up, there are two things it communicates to them. Number one, either he doesn't have the power to do this, or number two, he doesn't care. He's not interested or he's not able. And that's where many of us get hung up. We start to doubt God is interested or that he actually has the power to do it or that he would use his power to help us. So let's pick up in verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Okay, I want to stop there. What are some thoughts? Why was he weeping? So that, what you guys are saying, this is the most popular theory. What you're saying is, is actually in the commentaries. and In my commentary in the Bible, it's exactly what they're saying. He was sad Death was never intended. Uh, he sees the sadness that uh, Mary has. He sees the sadness of these people. And one of the things that they try, are trying to explain is why it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The, the interpreters of our Bibles had to try to figure out what was going on here, and they put words into the best they could do to represent what they thought was happening. The, the Greek word, it says, deeply moved in his spirit. My translation says, or indignant. The actual Greek word is, it says he's angry. It's like he's snorting like a horse. He's angry. A deep anger welled up inside him. There you go, a deep anger. So they, they decided to translate it the way it really was, Mine said deeply moved in his spirit, which goes along with the interpretation of he was just sad about death or something. They didn't want, we don't want Jesus to be too angry. Well, the scripture says he was angry here. 
and he was deeply troubled. That word means he's very stirred up in his spirit. So something really changes in him now. I think part of this issue that we are wrestling with has to do with the words weeping. When Jesus weeps, it's the only time this word is used in the scripture. It's only used here. It means that there's a tear running down his face. He's quietly crying. I use the word crying because that word in English can have a couple of meanings. I could be crying, which means there's tears coming down my face. I could also be crying out and wailing, and that would also be crying, wouldn't it? It's a very similar situation is, is what we're translating here. The word for what Jesus is doing is a tear running down his face. What Mary and the other people are doing are wailing. Here's the way I'm putting this together. Jesus comes into town. Mary doesn't come to see him. She's punishing him. She, she's, she's angry with him. She's not coming. Martha goes and tries to call her away privately. Mary doesn't want to come privately. She's actually getting a lot of attention. We talked about it before that she maybe likes some attention. All these people have come from Jerusalem and from her hometown to be there with her to console her. In this culture, wailing and moaning and lamenting is a very, very popular thing to do. It's, it's, in fact, they paid people to do this. I'm not sure these people were paid. I think they were probably their, their fr friends. But not all of these people are her friends, are Lazarus' friends. There's some of these people that are there that are actually happy that Lazarus has died, and they are happy that Jesus didn't raise him. They have been waiting because they know Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and they're very happy that Jesus has failed at something that his friend has died and he wasn't able to help him. Finally, there's something he hasn't done well. Right? Jesus is the one who says he does all things well. They finally got something where he's let his friend down and they are there to console the sisters, but also to gloat a bit that your friend can't be the Messiah because he's let you down, you poor thing. You poor sisters, oh, but bad things happen to good people, you know. They're there to console them with the usual consolation that we receive. It has nothing to do with God. Mary, she doesn't come privately. She comes publicly. Everyone else comes with her. She probably could have said, look, I want to go privately, but she actually wants an entourage. She wants the people to come with her. She goes out there, and the word for weeping is wailing. She is making quite a scene as she is at Jesus' feet, wailing. 
I understand whaling on day one, maybe on day two, but we're on day four. four. Someone whaling on day four? Now, people would cry if they have a memory of their brother, but I believe that Jesus knows that this is drama. This is not real. This is a guilt trip. She's wailing because she's angry, and she wants to draw the attention to the fact that Jesus has let her down. Which works, because all the people come doing the same thing, wailing, wailing, wailing. Could not this man who healed the blind man help this? Yeah, we're out of luck here. This, this can't be the Messiah. Jesus is angry. He had raised other people from the dead. And he told them it doesn't lead to death. But nobody believes him. Nobody is treating him like a Messiah or even giving him any respect at all. Hey, it's good to see you. I'm so glad, glad you're here. Can you help us? There's none of that. Jesus, thank you for coming. There's no thanks. There's no nice to see you. It's all this guilt and manipulation which actually we have a precedent for. When they sent the messenger, he said, tell them this, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. Did you catch that little hook in there? Not Lazarus, our brother. Lazarus, the one you love. Come on. The one you love is ill. Jesus, aren't you coming? Now, Jesus not biting on that manipulative hook. Jesus gets there. There's no nice to see you. There's no, I, I, I know you're going to be able to help us in this situation because of who you are and because you love this family. What should we do now, Jesus? There is nothing but accusation, guilt, wailing, essentially celebrating death. The center of focus here is not Jesus. The center of focus is the death and loss of Lazarus. The Messiah has come, and we're celebrating death and drama and attention getting because that's what the world celebrates. Might as well get some attention because nothing good's happening later. Jesus is angry. Jesus is angry. It says it's, it, the word is it's like snorting like a horse. He's angry, and he's deeply moved in his spirit. And I believe it's because these are his very best friends. His very best friends. Of all the families in the world, this family constitutes his best friends. And they have no faith. That made him cry. There is a parable he tells in Luke chapter 18 called the persistent widow. It says you're supposed to continue to pray and not give up. And at the end of that, he has a phrase that applies here. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith 
on the earth. When he returned, he found no faith, not even in his closest, dearest friends whom he loved. And I believe that made him cry. I believe that little tear rolling down his face is after all I've done. I am going to the cross in about two weeks to pay for the sins of everybody. I'm going to be suffering severely for this. For you. For Lazarus. For everyone. Nobody here cares about me. Nobody is looking to me. Death has derailed everyone. We're focusing on death and evil seems to have won here. That makes him angry. When Jesus is still out beyond the Jordan and he tells his disciples he wants to come back and he starts to speak about Lazarus' death, he says, I am glad that I was not there at Lazarus' death so that you may believe. You see, Jesus was anticipating this was going to be a great event. This was going to be a lot of fun for him. He was looking forward to it. He was expecting his friends to receive the message that he gave them, that the Son of God was going to be glorified. He had raised other people from the dead. Mary is shaming him publicly for not being there on time. And he was looking forward to rejoicing with everyone, with his friends, as the Son of God was going to be glorified. When all these people come out wailing, essentially pretending to be sad, but they're really angry or they're really just dramatic, and they're celebrating death, Jesus becomes angry. His spirit is troubled. This was supposed to be the Son of God being glorified, and the Son of God is being shamed by his very closest friends, by his very best friends. That makes him cry. She's at his feet, wailing. He's not impressed. He doesn't try to correct her. He just turns away with a tear in his eye and says, where have you laid him? I read the commentaries about how he, because everyone's weeping, it makes him sad. The problem I have with that theory is that a number of other people have died and Jesus never weeps for them. Jairus' daughter dies. He doesn't start to cry. John the Baptist, his cousin, dies. He doesn't say he cries doesn't say he weeps for them. So death doesn't seem to make him cry because to him it doesn't even seem to exist. It doesn't seem to affect him. I believe what does affect him is he knows he's hunted, he's hated. They are plotting to kill him. He's just walked uphill 14 miles. He told them this doesn't lead to death. God's going to be glorified through this. They couldn't 
hear his message. They didn't have that much faith. And I want to pause here to ask us, do we have that much faith? He is asking for a profound level of faith. Their brother died. Their economic resources have just dried up. This is a profound level of faith that Jesus is asking for, but it makes him cry when we don't trust him, when we don't have the faith, when we don't treat him as if he cares, as if he has any feelings at all, as if he hasn't done anything for us. So let's pause right now and, and just think about this. What makes Jesus cry? And how can I be sure not to make him cry over me?